Thank you, Fran and Judy and choir. Let us pray before we get started. Father, I thank you that we can so freely come and worship you. And I thank you, Father, not simply because we live in America, but because we serve a living God. And I thank you, Father, that you are here. You desire to speak to our spiritual bodies, our spiritual hearts and minds. You desire that we would grow in our faith and knowledge in you. You desire, Father, that you would do a great work in our lives, not only as a church, but as each individual Christian, and that we would be shining lights in a very, very dark world. Oh, God, remind us of the purpose and plan you have for each person who's a member of this church. And, Father, remind us that you want us to be obedient to you. As we have been studying about the godly and ungodly use of the tongue, truly, Father, your word has spoken to us about how so often our tongues are used not for the glory of God, but for the glory of self and even in service to Satan. So I pray, Father, that as we identify the problems of the tongue, that you'll also help us to understand the power that you'll give us to overcome the fleshly use of the tongue so that we can use it for heavenly purposes. Oh, God, please speak to our hearts as we study again the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been studying for the last three Sundays. This is the fourth Sunday about the godly and ungodly use of the tongue. And we tackle first the ungodly use of the tongue. We've been reading out of James chapter 3. And this morning, Steve, if you will, we'll start on the third slide uh, on verse 5, okay? James chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. So the tongue is a little member and boast of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is an unrighteous world among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the cycle of nature, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no human being can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursing. My brethren, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh water and brackish? Can a fig tree, my brethren, yield olives or grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. And I'm going to read also from Colossians chapter 2. And Paul here speaks about the chapter 4 beginning with verse 2. Paul speaks about the godly use of the tongue. Listen to this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, and pray for us also that God may open to us the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear as I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every one. Tychicus will tell you all about my affairs. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother who is one of yourselves, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. 
The next slide is Matthew 12, verse 34. We've been reading this every time because this is basically where the problem with the tongue begins. And these are the words of Jesus. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we've got a mouth problem, a tongue problem, it stems from our hearts. In 1 Corinthians 10:31, Paul says, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And you and I know that so often we fail with our tongue, and I, I hope and pray one of the verses that's really helped you as it's helped me is 1 John 1, 9. John says if we confess our sins, now that's any sin and every sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, this morning we begin in verse 6. James says that the tongue is a fire. The tongue is an unrighteous world among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the cycle of nature and set on fire by hell. Last Sunday, we talked about how the battle with our tongue will be a lifelong struggle. Folks, that is a part of our body that Satan wants to control. And if Satan controls our tongue, our speech will be full of jealousy, ambition, earthly concerns and desires, unspiritual thoughts and ideas, disorder, harsh and unkind words, gossiping, boasting, lying, exaggeration, in essence, James says all sorts of evil that will stain the whole body. And folks, again, we've noted how our speech either betrays our testimony for Christ or it backs it up. And when our tongue is under the control of God and his wisdom, there's love, purity, peace, consideration of others, submission, mercy, sincerity, and impartiality, and goodness. And again, you remember as we got started in this study, James is concerned about the believers in the church becoming mature believers. And one of the ways that we express our maturity in our faith is by having our tongues under the control and guidance and filling of the Holy Spirit of God. And James points out that we cannot handle and tame our tongues by ourselves. It must be the work of Christ. But because our tendency to sin with our tongues, James encourages and instructs Christians. In James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, we read this last time. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Know this, my brethren, and listen to these instructions. Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. But then in verse 6, and, and I want to tell you, James says something that at first I believe is very startling. Listen to this. He says, the tongue is set on fire by hell. Now, you've met some folks like that, hadn't you? We probably had some folks feel that way about us before, hadn't we? Don't say amen, say oh me, all right? But listen to what James is saying here. And, and I'd never really, I'd heard this verse so many times, but never thought a lot about it. The word hell here comes from the Greek word Gehenna. Now, Gehenna has an Old Testament background as well as a New Testament background. In the Old Testament, Gehenna was the name of a place in the valley of Hinnon. Let me give you an example of this in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31. The valley of Gehenna is south of 
Jerusalem. And in Old Testament times, it was a hated place, especially by the prophets, because some people would sacrifice human beings, even their children, on altars and worship the false gods. And the people of the Old Testament were strictly forbidden to practice that religion and worship those gods. Why in the world would James use the word hell or Gehenna to describe the tongue? Well, I believe that James is trying to say, like the Old Testament Gehenna represented a place where people's lives were destroyed in the worship of false gods, James is saying that our tongues can destroy others in direct disobedience to God. And folks, that's a powerful statement. We can destroy others with our tongues, and truly that is not in obedience to God. But folks, in the New Testament, Gehenna was literally a place outside of Jerusalem that had become a garbage dump. That place was known by the continual fires that burned there. Even at night, the residents of Jerusalem could see the the glow of the fires there in the trash dump. And there was a stench that caused a foul smell in the city. So what is James again saying? Why is he comparing our tongues to being set on fire by hell? When God and his Holy Spirit is not in control of our tongue, it is like a garbage heap. It is filled with all sorts of decaying and abandoned articles and filth and stench. To put it very simply, and and again, I'm putting this in a way that I personally can understand it, James is saying that if our tongues are not under the control of God, then we're going to have spiritually bad breath. You know what I'm trying to say? And I'm not talking about odor here. I'm talking about the content that comes out of our tongues because our tongues would be set on fire by hell. Folks, that, that is a very, very powerful statement. But in verses 7 and following, James makes two more comparisons about our tongue. In verse 7, he says that like an uncontrolled, untamed beast, our tongues can be out of control. And a question that we need to ask ourselves as Christians, does our daily speech exhibit the saved man or the man of the flesh? that we were before we trusted Christ as our personal Savior? And again, that's a powerful question. When people hear us talk, do they see that we have been born again into the kingdom of God? Are they seeing our tongues reflect the way we were before we met Jesus Christ? In verse 8, Paul describes the tongue as a restless, excuse me, James describes the tongue as a restless evil full of deadly poison. And again, listen to what he's trying to say. Restless evil describes a tongue that is unruly and unsteady. Let me me give you a good illustration of this, and, and I'm a prime example of this, coming to the church, preaching a sermon, but leaving and being mad at my family. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have had arguments with our spouses of our children after we've left church on the way home? I think this is what James is trying to picture 
that we're wishy-washy with our tongue. One moment we can be singing hymns and praising God and even praying, and the next moment we can be all out of touch with God and angry and lashing out at those closest to us. And he describes the tongue as having deadly poison. Like the poison of a deadly snake, the tongue is loaded with the venom of hate and death-dealing gossip. Listen to what David says in Psalms 140, verse 3. And he's speaking about evil men here. Psalms 140, verse 3. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the poison of vipers. Folks, I'm told that poison works secretly and slowly, and then it kills. Have you ever seen someone that got bitten by a snake? Most of the time, they're just two little small holes. But as that venom begins to take action, there's swelling, there's darkening of the skin, and in some cases, there's death. And James is saying that the human tongue can be full of poison. And then in verse 8, he says, but no human being can tame the tongue. And folks, I think James is not trying to depress us and say that there's no hope. But there's no hope for controlling our tongue outside of the Spirit of God. And think about this, and I believe that this is why he uses the comparisons that he does and the illustrations that he does. Listen to this. When an animal is controlled and tamed, it becomes what? A worker for the master. When our tongues are under the control and tamed by the Spirit of God, our tongues become an instrument of the Lord Jesus Christ. When fire is controlled, it generates power. And we've got power plants in this county to help us to see that. When God controls our tongue, it is not set on fire of hell, but is set on fire by heaven. It becomes a mighty tool for winning the lost and building up the church. Well, folks, in verses 9 through 12... James points out that the Christian tongue can be an instrument of inconsistency. And again, a lot of these notes come from uh, the teaching of Warren Wiersbe. I want you to know, again, documentation on this. But folks, notice the inconsistencies in the tongue. Look at verse 9. With our tongue, we can bless the Lord and Father. In verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing. We can do some wonderful, wonderful things with our tongues, but so often it's inconsistent. Because in verse 9, the same tongue that blesses the Lord and Father can curse men. And in verse 10, the same mouth that can cause blessings can also cause cursings. And listen to what James says in verse 10. My brethren, remember again, he's talking to the church. My brethren, this ought not to be. And why? Why should you and I not curse others? And I'm, it's just not talking about the language of cursing, but I think any, any act, any unchristlike act with our tongue. Well, think about this for just a second. When we're cursing men, we're also cursing the Father. Why? 
Each one of us is made in the likeness of God. Is that not right? That's what James here says. We curse men who are made in the likeness of God in verse 9. And folks, listen to this verse. We won't have this on the screen, but you'll know this verse well. Matthew 25, 40. Jesus said, and the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now, I know the context of Matthew 25 is giving food to the hungry, a drink to the thirsty, close to someone who is naked, visiting the sick and imprisoned, and hospitality to a stranger. But I believe in James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, God is speaking through James to say, Don't curse my children. Don't gossip about my children. Don't seek to demean and destroy my children with your tongue. Now think about this for just a second. As earthly parents, if someone, if someone were speaking down on your child, if someone were cursing your child or bad-mouthing your child or gossiping about your child, would you not get upset? Be honest. Has it happened to you before? Probably has, hasn't it? What'd you do? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. I don't want to tell you what I did. But folks, here's the picture. And here's the picture I've been missing. When we are, are gossiping, when we're trying to destroy others, you know what we're doing? We're speaking against the Heavenly Father because that is His child. How do we know that? John 1, 12, As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become what? Children of God. And folks, even when we badmouth each other in the church, Listen, we're speaking about God's children. This has given me a whole new perspective about this. Folks, if I badmouth you, I am badmouthing God the Father because you're his child. We need to learn that anew and afresh. And folks, in verses 11 and 12, James again turns to the natural elements to illustrate his point about inconsistencies of the tongue. In verse 11, 11, his first illustration is about a spring or a fountain. The King James has this, has it. Let me read verse 11 again. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh water and brackish? In eastern countries, a freshwater fountain and spring was, was a great blessing to a village. Mankind needs water not only for drinking, but for cooking and farming and washing Water is a necessity for life. And the point is this, water is life-giving, and so can the words of a Christian's tongue be to others. Our words can be life-giving to others. And let me read some passages of Scripture out of Proverbs. And Steve, if you'll pull these up, Proverbs 10, 11. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Proverbs 18.4, the words of a man's mouth are as deep waters and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. Proverbs 12.18, there is, there's, there's that speaketh like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of a wise is health. Think about the picture you get there. Some of our words are like swords or knives that cut into somebody. Have you ever used that expression, well, he surely cut me down? And that's what I believe Solomon's talking about. 
Some of our words can be like swords that pierce into our bodies. Proverbs 10:26, the lips of the righteous feed many. And then, folks, listen from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 6, 63. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Spirit and life. Here's the point. As Christians, obedient children of God, our words can be life-giving, or as disobedient children of God, our words can be destructive. No one could go to a spring or a fountain desiring to drink bad water. And folks, here, James is pointing out that our words as Christians should give glory to God and light and guidance and encouragement and love to those around us. And there's a second illustration in verse 12. Listen to this, the illustration of a tree. The tongue can be like a tree. In biblical times, tongues were vitally important. They helped against soil erosion. They provided beauty and shade, and they bore fruit. And as Christians, our tongues can stop the erosion of our society, and we can bear fruit for the kingdom of God by the obedient use and spirit-filled use of our tongue. And James is saying that just as a spring or a fountain cannot give two types of water, a tree cannot bear two types of fruit, figs, olives, grapes, together. And here again is the point. If our tongues are inconsistent, there's something radically wrong with our hearts. The tongue that blesses and praises God and then turns around and curses men is in desperate need of spiritual medicine. But folks, is there hope for our tongues? And the answer is, praise God, yes, there is. Go back to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we need to come clean, if we need to say, God, my tongue has been used for the wrong purposes and I've said the wrong things, even today, guess what? God's ready and willing to forgive. There's also the fact that God wants to fill our hearts with the word of God as we yield to the Spirit's control. Now, I haven't been trying to rush, but give me just a couple more minutes, and I'm going to close in prayer, okay? Steve, if you'll pull up the next slide, I want to point something out, and this is the note I want us to leave on, okay? We have been talking about the ungodly use of the tongue. I want to point out, and I hope that you'll take time, if you haven't already done it, but you'll read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. And and I want to just say some things right quick, like, and again, I'm being very personal. You know, God teaches us through the mistakes that we make. Would you give me an amen to that? Um, Yesterday morning, real early, about 6.30, I was listening to the radio. And I was listening uh, to the Lynchburg station, and I was listening to a program that I normally listen to, and I've never had any disagreement with any of the programming that this particular ministry has had. And um, I got mad yesterday morning. 
the people that were being interviewed were talking about one of the issues in our society. And they said, when's the last time you heard a preacher preach on that topic, on that sin? And, and I, I'm sure they didn't mean it the way I took it, but they began to sound very sarcastic and said, well, preachers are probably scared they'll lose their job. Or they're scared they're going to lose some members. And I want to tell you something that made me mad. Because I thought, well, if you can do a better job, why don't you get out from behind the microphone and go get in a Baptist church somewhere and stay there about 30 years and see if it turns out the way you want it to. Now, you're going to see the ugly side of me in just a minute. Oh, well, you've probably already seen it. Uh, and I chewed on that all day long. And I began to make excuses for why I shouldn't be mad about this. Uh, because maybe their preacher preached on it and they were gone that Sunday. You know, that happens every now and again. Maybe the preacher preached on something you've been wanting him to preach on for a long time. But you were gone that Sunday. And I'm not trying to defend myself. I've had people to come up to me and, and, and say, uh, why don't you preach on certain things? Well, I want to tell you, I've got a pastor's heart. I'm not using this as an excuse but when I stand in this pulpit, I'm not trying to look down on you. And I'm not trying to stand up here and act like I'm better than you. And that I don't do certain things that you do. That's, I can't do that because I'm a sinner saved by grace just like you are. And I'm praying that over a period of time that God is going to take his word and his Holy Spirit and convict my heart and your heart of where we are wrong. And God's Spirit is going to say, I want you to know that this is not in my will, but I'll bring you victory in that if you'll follow me, if you'll obey my word. Because he will. This is what this is all about, folks. It's not about telling me how you ought to talk. It's about the word of God speaking to our hearts and we're being obedient to it. And we're yielding to the Holy Spirit saying, God, we've got a problem with this. I've had people to say, <laughs> I, I love this. They say, I wish you'd let me preach one Sunday. I'd tell them. Well, let me ask you something. If you could tell them one Sunday, could you do it for the next 40 years? I'm not trying to defend myself. Preaching is not about one sermon where you get on everybody's nerves and you tell them all from the pulpit about what they ought to be doing. Because you see, when I stand in this place, I'm supposed to have a word from who? From God. Not my word, his word, out of the word. <laughs> that just came out, all right? That's pretty good, wasn't it? Folks, here's my point. I struggled all day. I was mad all day long. And finally, finally, God gave me some peace about this. And this is why he let me chew on it all day long. He said, you know, it's easy to identify the problem. It's easy to look at somebody else and see the log in their eye and don't see the, don't see the speck in their eye and not see the log in yours. Amen? Isn't it? And it's easy for the church to become so judgmental and see the faults of people outside these walls and want to condemn them. But folks, we need to identify not just the problem, we need to identify the solution. And that's why I've told you all of this. Here's the solution to the problem with the tongue. Look at this on the screen. In Colossians 4, 2 through 9, Paul points to four important ministries of the tongue. 
His four important ministries every one of us can do with our tongue. Folks, again, I'm excited. I have a struggle with my tongue and what I say and my speech. But folks, here's four things that I can do with my tongue that will bring honor and glory to God. And Paul mentions them in what seems to be a little out of the ordinary, out of the way place in Scripture. And listen to these, and I'm going to close in prayer, and we'll be finished. We're not going to sing a hymn of invitation this morning because if the Spirit of God is working in our hearts, He's going to work on our tongues too. And I hope you got the point about what I was saying about this program. God had to speak to me first. People can tell you what you ought to be doing. They can tell me what I ought to be doing, but until the Spirit of God gets a hold of my heart and says, Herbert, this is what I want you to do, and this is how to do it. And I pray the Spirit of God's gotten a hold of all of our hearts about our tongues. But here's the solution. Here's what he wants to do with our tongues. Number one, use our tongues for praying. Number two, use our tongues to proclaim the Word of God. Now, to proclaim it, we're going to have to get into it. We can't leave it on the desk or the nightstand or on the table. We've got to get into it. Are you willing to get into it? Because if the word of God gets in our heart, it's going to come out our tongues. Amen? It will. It'll be like a fire burning inside of us. That's what Jeremiah said. He wanted to stop. I love that passage of Scripture. Jeremiah got fed up with the ministry. He preached and preached and preached. Nobody believed him. And he said, God, I quit. But God put a fire in his heart. And he couldn't stop. When the word of God gets in our hearts, it will manifest itself through our tongues. Number three, use our tongues to witness to the lost. And number four, use our tongues to share the burdens of others. You know what that is? Encouragement. One of the greatest sources. Sources of encouragement can be our tongues. This is what we're going to get started on next week. It probably won't take us four Sundays to get through this. Thank you for letting me share. I hope I made sense in what I just said. Folks, we can see sin is all around us. It's in us. We struggle with it daily. We've identified the source of the problem, but now let's identify the solutions. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in all the ramblings this morning that you've spoken through your word by your spirit to our hearts. And Father, I just pray that, Lord, you wake us up. We don't have to live defeated. Our tongues don't have to be instruments of unrighteousness. But our tongues can be used to give honor and glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I pray for myself first, Father. I struggle with yielding my tongue and my speech to you. But I pray, Father, that I will. I pray, Father, that each of us will use our tongues to pray and proclaim the word of God and the witness to the lost and to share burdens. Bless us as we leave this place, whether we're going home or to lunch or to Sunday school. Bless us, Father that we'll serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.